Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of The Rebind. My name is Andrew Juliot, the host of this podcast, and today we're going to talk about what this even is. Why a podcast? Who are you? What's with the name? All that. We're going to devote this first episode to introducing The Rebind podcast as a whole. start with introducing myself a bit. I hail from the land of Omaha, Nebraska, whose state motto my brother-in-law keeps reminding me is now, it's not for everybody. Way to go, Nebraska. But anyway, contrary to popular belief, Nebraska is not all cornfields. I grew up in the suburbs, pretty much, was very active in church, Christian family, Awana, youth group, whatever was on the list for a church kid to do, I did it. But it wasn't until high school that I really started taking my faith seriously. And it was amazing. God really changed my life, and for some miraculous reason, the leaders at the church let me lead and even preach. And even more miraculously is that everyone tolerated it. So I graduated early from high school, thought, let's go, went straight to Bible school. And at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, I met Stephanie, my wife, the love of my life. We've been doing life together ever since and doing ministry together too, which is a real joy for me. A lot of what comes to this podcast actually is a result of our conversations together and experiences, and I'll be trying to get her on here as much as I can. She's also going to have a blog that you can check out um, on Buy the Book Resources, Um, so be sure to check that out on the site. So we got married the summer of our junior year, graduated a year later. I majored in biblical exposition, which is a fancy term for studying and preaching, and Stephanie majored in biblical languages. So as you can tell, we like the Bible. So much so, in fact, that we went straight from Moody to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School to get our Masters of Divinity. And as of a couple of months ago, we finally, finally graduated. And for the first time in, like, my life, I'm not a student. But as I sat in the basement of a relative's condo, job hunting with stacks of unscanned class notes and jotted thoughts and research sitting next to the desk, I thought, I should do something with this. For my own sake, you know, to really process this stuff, but in case someone else may find it helpful too. Hence, a website and a podcast. But the driving force behind the Rebind is way more than just having an outlet for me to rant about whatever I'm thinking about, or had thought about at some point. Nobody wants that, not even myself. There's a bigger reason for this. There's a specific challenge that the Rebind is aimed at addressing. I'm going to make a very bold claim. For evangelicals, and by an evangelical I just mean someone who believes the Bible is true and everything it affirms, and who want to tell other people about Jesus. For us evangelical Christians, the Bible is not preparing us to live in the world of today. In fact, for evangelicals, the Bible is the cause of so much of our seeming out of touch with everything and everyone and the way life really works. Now, stick with me, please. Hear me out. There's a punchline coming. But let's just sit here for a minute. I think most of us feel this and experience this on a broader cultural level. 
and on a personal level. On a broader cultural level, evangelicals definitely have the reputation of being out of touch and unprepared for living in the world today, right? I think that much is obvious. You look at TV shows, movies, you name it, and the evangelical Christians are the ones holding picket signs, telling everyone no to whatever they want to be doing and be about and having nothing to offer in terms of what they're saying yes to instead. Now, you might look at that and say they're not giving evangelicals a fair representation there. They're just caricaturizing them like straw men and using them as punching bags. And I'd probably agree with you. I doubt that the average evangelical on the ground really thinks and acts like those TV characters do, right? But then again, stereotypes exist for a reason, even when they paint an unfair picture. And I wonder if evangelicals as a whole really are known for saying no to what the world says yes to without being able to offer a robust yes to something else. Are we able to do more than tell people and tell ourselves the Bible says having sex before marriage is bad? Can we paint a picture from the Bible of what sexuality really is, what it was created to be, and why? Does the Bible present us with a picture of what's beautiful about its framework for marriage and family, so much so that we actually prefer it? Or is it just a set of outdated rules? If some of the statistics that we hear are even marginally true about the similar rates of premarital sex and pornography addiction and no-fault divorces, then we have to say that the Bible is not preparing us like we say that it is. There's a disconnect somewhere. And in fact, the rules we are clinging to are what are causing us to seem out of touch. But this isn't just broad cultural stuff. This is personal stuff. It's not just the voices that we hear on screens. It's the voices in our heads and coming out of our cell phones. I think of friends I know who just could not get over the disconnect they felt in church compared to how their life was going, and it wrecked their faith. They'd have these massive struggles and go to church, and the pastor would tell them to find joy in Christ. But none of the songs that they sang gave voice to any of the sadness and hurt they experienced. They were told about the life they could live in the Spirit, and they said they tried, and it looked nothing like that warm and intimate experience they were promised, and eventually it was just too much for them. What the church was giving them from the Bible was not preparing them to face what they were facing, and it actually caused them to feel like there was this disconnect between Christianity and the way life really was for them. I remember talking uh, with a friend in the dorms at Moody in college about the song, Jesus, Jesus. Okay, so there's a Hillsong song called Jesus, Jesus that came out in like 1996 that says, Jesus, Jesus, one touch of your hand, I am healed and I am whole. Okay, not that song. We were talking about Noah Gunderson's song, Jesus, Jesus, released in 2009. It's the one that goes, Jesus, Jesus, there are those who say they love you but they have treated me so gosh darn mean. Only it doesn't say gosh darn. And I know you said, forgive them for they know not what they do, but sometimes I think they do. And I think about you. If all the heathens burn in hell, do all their children burn as well? 
What about the Muslims and the gays and the unwed mothers? What about me and all my friends? Are we all sinners if we sin? Does it even matter in the end if we're unhappy? Jesus, Jesus, I'm still looking for answers, though I know that I won't find them here tonight. But Jesus, Jesus, could you call me if you have the time? Maybe we could meet for coffee and work it out. Maybe then I'll understand what it's all about. Okay, that's the song. And me and my friend were talking about this song and about Noah Gunderson, and he was saying, yeah, I think it's so interesting how the people who fill his concerts are the Wheaton students and Bible college students and the young millennial evangelicals. In other words, it's not the atheists and raging liberals that are buying this guy's tickets. It's, it's the people who actually know what he's talking about and resonate with it so much that even though they attend Christian colleges, they travel around and pay money to hear him because they get it and they feel it. They're haunted by it too, praying, Jesus, Jesus, maybe we could meet for coffee and work it out. And maybe then I'll understand what it's all about. These students that hear about the Bible all the time are are still left with that haunting feeling that it's not connecting to life, that it's not making sense, and that it's actually the cause of a lot of confusion. So this problem, this disconnect, is felt by all of us, I think, on a broader cultural level, but also on a really personal level. Evangelicals seem to be losing a battle with the surrounding culture in terms of making sense of the world, making sense of society and what matters in life. And that affects our witness. It affects church life. It affects our own doubts and lives of faith. So even just empirically speaking, if we look at the interactions Christians are having with outsiders and even amongst themselves— We have to say that the Bible is not preparing us to face the challenges of making sense of the world, making sense of society, of of what matters in life. In fact, the Bible is contributing to the discontent. It's the cause of the awkward conversations, the portrayals on TV, the doubts that creep up within ourselves. But here's the punchline. Here's my bigger, bolder claim, the driving force behind this podcast. The reason this is happening, the the reason the Bible isn't preparing us for the world and for ourselves, isn't because we're clinging too closely to it, but because we're clinging to so little of it. The reason the Bible isn't preparing us for the world and for ourselves isn't because we're clinging too closely to it, It's because we're clinging to so little of it. Now, I'm not saying we need to double our quiet times. That's that's not what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is that while evangelicals claim to be all about the Bible, more times than not, irony of all ironies, we're really only operating with a handful of selected verses that we've pulled out and put onto bumper stickers. There are 31,102 verses in the Bible. I'm going to read 15 of them for you. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Psalm 23.1 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jeremiah 29.11 For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. 1 Corinthians 13.4 Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hebrews 11.1 Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Galatians 5.22-23 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Isaiah 40.31 But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Luke 11.20 And he, the prodigal son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. James 5.16 Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayers of the righteous person are powerful and effective. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So those are 15 verses. You're probably pretty familiar with them, right? Most of those I actually pulled from Bible Study Tools statistics on the 25 most read Bible verses from their site. We hear those 15 pretty often. Now. How often do you hear about, get taught about, see used in someone's testimony, the other 31,087? Now let's think about this from another vantage point. What view of the world and ourselves and others are we left with? What witness do we have to offer when those 15 verses alone make up our framework on all of life? All scripture is breathed out by God, right? All of it is useful and needed for us to be trained in righteousness, right? Well, those 15 verses are less than 0.001% of all scripture. Can you imagine reading less than 0.001% of an instruction manual for building a desktop computer and thinking, I've got this. Someone hand me an operating system. How confident would you be of a surgeon who was operating on you who had less than 0.001% of the tools that she needed for the surgery? And now I think I should pause here to clarify a few things. First up, I'm not saying that those 15 verses are bad. I'm not even saying that all the ways that the Christians use them today are invalid. Take Romans 8.28, for example. Sometimes people get so upset about the way that that verse is misused and misapplied that they act like the devil wrote it. Ugh, Romans 8.28. 
I hope no one quotes that to me or I'll just roll my eyes. It's like, no, that's still the Bible, right? You can't claim that what it's really saying isn't true just because you don't like it. This isn't about swinging the pendulum based on what's trendy. We need all of it. We need even those 15, even even if people often misuse them. But whether it's with underused or overused verses, part of the purpose of this podcast is to release the Bible from the stigma of how people have used it, to give it a fresh chance to say what it wants to say when we dig a little deeper. Just because you hate your mailman, don't burn your letters he's carrying. That's all I'm saying. Now, something else I should clear up. I'm not even trying to say here that we don't read enough of the Bible. Maybe we don't. And maybe we really don't know many other verses than the 15 I mentioned. Maybe we just kind of stick with the verses that we hear all the time. So nothing can go wrong from reading the Bible more, don't get me wrong. But that may or may not be related to the issue I'm talking about here. I'm sure that many of you listening do read the Bible a lot. Maybe you have a Bible reading plan that makes sure you read all of it. That doesn't mean we know what to do with Leviticus, right? What I'm probing here is not how many passages we've read with our eyes and registered in our brains, but how many passages are operative in our lives. Meaning, of of all the Bible verses you've read, how many of them make a difference in the way that you think, the way that you hope and love and pray, the, the way that you share the gospel? And for those times in your life when you feel like something you're experiencing or questioning isn't satisfied, by one of those 15 verses, do you think maybe there's something in the other 31,000 that we may have read once that could help if all of it is really useful? So recap so far, evangelicals are not popular, (laughs) at least not in many parts of the country. And though we may see ourselves as martyrs of a cause and view our decreasing numbers as a way of weeding out the fakers, it doesn't change the fact that that's not how everyone else sees us. And so many people are finding Christianity insufficient and out of touch. Even though the Bible doesn't seem to be preparing us for those challenges, the conviction of this podcast is that it's not because we're clinging too closely to it, but because we're clinging to too little of it. In the oft-quoted words of G.K. Chesterton, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. What does it look like to actually engage the entirety of Christianity to not leave it untried? Well, it means engaging its entire message, putting all its pages back together so that we can hear what it's trying to say. So we can be equipped and prepared and trained for all of life, not just 0.001% of it. Now, that's the conviction behind this podcast. But before we dive into how the podcast will work toward that end, I want to really bring this home. I mean, how do we know this isn't just me rambling about my personal opinions? Is the Bible really that censored in America? Aren't I just exaggerating this to make a point? Well, I think it's helpful to point out that this is just generally something that happens in every era and every culture, where we laser into certain parts of the Bible 
that seem to intersect more clearly with our lives as they already are. So let's just think about the early church, for example, okay? Um, Church fathers, all that, you know, like right after the Bible was written, what were the stuff that uh, they were focusing on, the passages of the Bible that they were really writing about, the things going on in their time? Well, you see them dialoguing a lot with Greek philosophy and focusing on the passages in the Bible that they thought did that. You see them counteracting the false teachings that were spreading around and threatening the health of this budding church. So you didn't hear a lot about Psalm 23 or the prodigal son, at least not in the way that we hear it today. And some of that contextualizing is good and healthy, right? Like we should be doing that. The leaders in the church know that their flocks are facing these challenges and these perspectives, and so they bring the relevant parts of Scripture to bear on it. So far, so good, right? But we could also mention the worst examples and stereotypes where the era and culture were coloring the Bible and not the other way around. I mean, think of those in our own country that used the Bible to justify the slave trade, for example. And we will immediately dismiss the way that they manipulated the Bible, picking and choosing and pulling out verses from their context, giving those verses new and modern meetings that didn't focus on what the biblical authors were trying to say. That's terrible. But isn't it possible that in much more subtle ways, with much more subtle consequences, we all do the same thing in allowing perspectives that we already have to determine what parts of the Bible we focus on? Isn't it possible that in much more subtle ways, our culture is influencing us behind the scenes in terms of what parts we pick out and pull out and give new modern meanings that may not exactly be what was intended. If we can look back on church history and see that clear in hindsight, isn't it safe to say that that's probably still happening now too, even without us realizing it? When we look back and get enraged at slave traders for the way that they manipulated the Bible, we would say that their problem was not clinging too closely to the Bible, but clinging to too little of it, right? We would say that's true of any blind spots, even in the early church and the church fathers. You know, whether it may have caused massive problems like anti-Semitism or more subtle ones, like, you know, maybe a kind of under-the-radar de-emphasis of grace and mercy or something like that. So I'm kind of going for the cheap shot here by saying, hey, all of history, look at that. But I hope it shows that the problem I'm identifying here, where we pick and choose from parts of the Bible instead of let all of it inform our perspectives, I hope that history shows I'm not making this up just because I want a following for my niche podcast. It's an ever-present threat. It's, it's subtle, and it's worth thinking about. The Bible has the ability to speak into our eras and cultures and engage them and challenge them. All of it, in fact, carries a prophetic flavor that shows it's meant for more than just data dumping. But we also have the ability to limit Scripture, to just pick the parts of it that already resonate with us. And knowing the difference is not always as easy as we'd think. So it's worth asking these questions. 
it's worth asking, why, why is Psalm 23 our favorite psalm? Has it always been the church's favorite psalm? Definitely not. Why is the prodigal son our favorite parable? Why do African Americans have a much richer history of engaging with the prophets than white evangelicals? Now, those are genuine questions, not rhetorical ones. It takes humble conversations with people from other cultures to step outside of our own blind spots, right? That's just true in general. And if our blind spots are biblical, meaning we're not getting the full picture of what the Bible is saying, then there's no replacement for having those humble conversations with all of it, every part. That's the only way that we can start to prevent the picking and choosing and favoring and twisting. So I'm not making this up, guys. That's my point. The conviction behind this podcast is that all of Scripture is given to us for a purpose. All of it is needed to be the kind of disciples of Christ that we're called to be. And we're missing out on that beauty and help and health. Our problem is not that we cling too closely to the Bible, but that we cling to too little of it. We see that in history's tendency to favor certain parts of the Bible that reflect the cultural ideals. But we see this manifested other places too. Further proof that this is not just my hobby horse, although, okay, it is. Think about the resources that the evangelical church puts out, for example. Think about what they're saying and what they're not saying. I spent forever trying to find statistics on the passages of the Bible that are preached on Sunday mornings in a given year. You know, like, how many come from the Old Testament? How many come from a part of Revelation that isn't the first few or last chapters? That sort of stuff. But I could not find anything. So if you find a survey like that, shoot me an email, andrew at bythebookresources.com. But regardless of the latest statistics, I can't remember the last time I heard a sermon in church on a passage from Jeremiah or Song of Songs or Philemon or Leviticus or Titus. I can't recall a single worship song that has lyrics pulled from those books. Now, maybe you can. Maybe the sermons you hear actually do cover those neglected parts of the Bible. And that's amazing. Send your pastor a thank you card or something. But the point is, for those of us who are in leadership in the church, if we are only operating with a handful of our favorite verses, if we don't have a grasp of what the whole Bible is equipping us with, then what are the chances that the people we serve are going to catch that desire? And for the rest of us, how many times have we heard a part of the Mosaic Law recited on Christian radio, if it wasn't like the Ten Commandments? When was the last time we walked into a Christian bookstore and saw a new book on display that said, The Lament Psalms, Bringing Your Griefs and Complaints to God, now on sale, bestseller. Now, I know that without the data here, it's hard to say that this is evidence, but I'm pretty confident that if we just pause to think about the evangelical resources that are out there, we'll see that they reflect this problem. We prize ourselves on being people of the book. But which books? John? Romans? A tenth of the Psalms? What about the other 63 and 9 tenths books of the Bible? Are we really known for being people of those? Now, of course, I'm exaggerating here to get us thinking. I'm not trying to offend anyone. 
But my point is that this is not just a general problem in history. It's not, it's not just a trend. I think we can see it pretty clearly happening now, skimming through the curriculum webpages and sermon listings and even Bible verse magnets on Amazon. But even if we're doing pretty well historically, even if we think that a disproportionate biblical worldview isn't a problem for us, we at least have to admit that secular culture has picked up on this and is critiquing it, okay? I remember watching an episode of West Wing a couple years ago. West Wing is a uh, political drama from the early 2000s. It was pretty popular. And uh, this episode was called The Midterms. It's from season two. And there's this scene where the president is standing among a group of important people. But there's this famous Christian talk show host who's there really bothering the president. She's not being respectful. She's not standing up. So he interrupts his speech and he starts talking with her in front of everyone. He says, I like your show. I I like how you call homosexuality an abomination. And she says, I don't say homosexuality is an abomination, Mr. President. The Bible does. Yes, it does, he says. Leviticus 18.22, she says. Chapter or verse, he replies. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions while I had you here. I'm interested in selling my youngest daughter into slavery as sanctioned in Exodus 21.7. She's a Georgetown sophomore. Speaks fluent Italian and always clears the table when it was her turn. What would a good price for her be? While I'm thinking about it, can I ask another? My chief of staff, Leo McGarry, insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35 clearly says he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself, or is it okay to call the police? Here's one that's really important, because we've got a lot of sports fans in this town. Touching the skin of a dead pig makes us unclean, Leviticus 11.7. If they promise to wear gloves, can the Washington Redskins still play football? Can Notre Dame? Can West Point? Does the whole town really have to be together to stone my brother John for planting different crops side by side? Can I burn my mother in a small family gathering for wearing garments made from two different threads? Okay, you get the point. I was looking at some of the comments from the YouTube clip of this scene, though, and people were saying things like, You can't just pick and choose which Bible laws to follow. This is one of the best scenes I've ever seen. Or another comment said, If you only follow parts of the Bible that you agree with, then do you really need the Bible? So even if we think we're doing pretty well historically, even if we think that a disproportional view of the Bible isn't a problem for us, there are plenty of non-Christians out there who think we're just picking and choosing and are unwilling to take us seriously because they think that. So for the sake of our witness, at least, we should be prepared to give a holistic answer to how all the Bible fits together and contributes to the Christian message. So, okay, in terms of witness and the broader cultural stuff I was talking about earlier, I I don't think we're ever going to be well-liked or well-represented by our societies. That's, that's not what I'm after here. That's definitely not our goal. It's not the expectation that we're given in the Bible. But while we can't control how Christianity is misrepresented, we can control how we represent it and whether we're giving anybody any extra reasons to misunderstand it. And we can't do that on 0.001%. 
if we're going to say that we've done our job presenting God's word to people, and they're the ones that choose to reject it, and that's out of our hands, that's totally fine, and I'm with you. But we better make sure that they're really getting all of it. That they're not just rejecting a fuzzy photo or cultural stereotype that we're unintentionally promoting. We should never be ashamed of clinging too closely to the Bible. But it's worth asking, are we really clinging to all of it? And is all of it equipping us for faithful lives and witness? The big claim, the strong conviction behind this podcast, is that all of Scripture is given to us for a purpose. All of it is needed to be the kind of disciples of Christ that we're called to be. And we're missing out on that beauty and that help and health. Our problem is not clinging too closely to the Bible, but clinging to too little of it. So we start out in this episode on a kind of subjective level saying, look, we feel this. We see this in broader cultural stuff with how evangelical Christians are represented and how they engage in so-called culture wars. But we feel it personally when our friends tell us their frustrations and doubts, when we struggle to live the Christian life with confidence. And beyond those feelings, we see signs of this everywhere on TV, statistics, historical trends, evangelical marketplaces, you name it. Now, what do we do with that? Well, that's where this podcast comes in. This podcast is called The Rebind because it's about putting all the pages of the Bible back together. Clever, right? Also, never think of a cool name for a podcast without doing a ton of Google searching first because you'll find out they're all already taken. Happened like six times. But anyway, I I know I've been pretty negative so far on this episode, just pointing out problems and complaining about things, but that's not the goal here, okay? They, They say anyone can tear down a house. Just keep picking at things until there's nothing left but rubble, nothing to live in. The hard, challenging, lifetime-long work is building up a house. Our goal with the Rebind is not just to deconstruct our framework. It's to let all 31,102 verses of the Bible put us back together again. It's about putting 100% of the pages of the Bible back together so that we can live lives 100% prepared for the voices we hear in our heads. 100% prepared to live, lead healthy, holistic churches, 100% prepared to show people the goodness, beauty, and rightness of the gospel. And let's just be honest here. The reason we glaze over Leviticus and don't see a ton of sermons on it or books about it is because it's confusing, right? It's not a quick read. And even when we read it slowly, we're still scratching our heads. This is difficult stuff. This goal of being shaped by all the Bible will not happen overnight. I'm nowhere close to where I want to be with this stuff. Nowhere close. But I could look at that and and how much I have to grow and I could despair. Or I could view that as an exciting calling and purpose. And it's challenging because most good things in life are. Now, I could come across a really different foreign part of the Bible and think, this is super weird. It doesn't resonate at all with the way I think, and then I could 
skim through to get to the parts that I like more. Or I could come across a really different foreign part of the Bible and think I should invest in this and engage with this even more than the stuff that's easier for me because this is so different, because this isn't a normal way that I think or see things, and I want to know what I'm missing. God himself has told us that we need every part of the Bible to be the kind of Christians we're supposed to be. Imagine the difference it could make if we started down that journey of taking all of Scripture to heart. What if all the Psalms could give voice to our experiences and emotions before God? What if we could make their songs our own? What if we let the Spirit of God shock and shake us with his message when Ezekiel shocks and shakes up the exiles? What if we came across the meticulous details of Leviticus about God's holiness and the weight of sacrifice, and we treasured and reveled in those details? What if we sat with Job in our suffering? What if we could sing the Song of Songs instead of blushing at it? What if we were captivated by John's vision of what is yet to come in the gospel? What if we were haunted by the book of Judges and celebrated with the Jewish people in Esther, laughing over our tears, having seen the sweet irony of God's justice and deliverance? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine life lived on 100%, not 0.001%? That's what we're after here. These neglected parts of the Bible are good for us, but they can be hard to understand. That's why the Rebind exists, to glean from those who have had the privilege of studying the Bible extensively and to focus afresh on different sections and topics of Scripture. So we're going to try to have a new episode out for you every Monday. Uh, be sure to check back here every week. And since everything is made better when you quote from Augustine, I thought it'd be fitting to close out with the words of one of his prayers from his confessions. Do not close the door of your law, Lord, against those who knock. You have not willed that the deep secrets of all those pages should have been written in vain. Those forests are not without their stags, which keep retired within them, ranging and walking and feeding, lying down and ruminating. Perfect me, O Lord, and reveal their secrets to me. Let it be pleasing in your mercy's sight that I should find favor with you, that the secret things of your word may be open to me when I knock. I beg this of you by our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, the man of your right hand, your word, through whom all things were made, and me among them, in whom are hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Amen. See you guys next time.